I'm Ansonia with Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold, a podcast which will feature conversations with musicians, singers, songwriters, radio personalities, and historians of gospel music. You will hear conversations with featured guests telling their story in history, their contributions to the riches of gospel music, and where they see gospel music trends. We will have traditional, contemporary, neo-soul, and hip-hop gospel artists, and more. We look forward to bringing exciting shows and present great episodes to keep you coming back for more. Yes. Today's show is a tribute to Sister Thea Bowman, Franciscan Sister of Perpetual Adoration, who shared her contributions to the Catholic Church, especially the African-American Catholic congregations. Born December 29, 1937 in Yazoo City, Mississippi, Thea was reared as a Protestant until nine years old when she asked her parents if she could become a Catholic. Sister Thea served as a consultant and gave presentations across the country, lively gatherings that combined singing, gospel preaching, prayer, and storytelling. Her programs were directed to break down racial and cultural barriers. She encouraged people to communicate with one another so that they could understand other cultures and races. Although she passed in 1990, in 2018, there has been a submission to canonize Sister Thea Bowman for the people, priests, bishops, nuns, and all around the world she ministered to and taught through her years of service. Welcome to Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold. I know that I've spoken of this before, that I grew up in a Black Catholic church on the west side of Chicago, where in 1972, Frank Skip Biggs, who was a member of the Thompson Community Choir, was the minister of music at our church. And he taught us how to sing gospel music. So we were the first Black Catholic church in the city of Chicago that sang gospel music like a Baptist church or Church of God in Christ to holiness. So I was involved with gospel music at an early age and was introduced to so many wonderful, great people that I wasn't aware of as a kid. Uh, we had guests like the Moore Four, Thompson Community Choir, George Mays and the Voices of Praise, Maggie Bell and the Maggie Bell Singers, and so forth. So I was introduced very young. And there was a nun, Sister Thea Bowman, that would come to the church sometimes. And sometimes she would minister, sometimes she would sing. But she was involved. Uh, there was a move in 1978 to induct African-American music into the Catholic Church. And the there was a proposal to create a hymnal by Mr. 
Avon Gillespie and Mr. Ron Harbour, I'm sorry, and Mr. Leon Roberts, there was a committee that wanted to induct the African-American experience music and spirituals into the Catholic Church, the Catholic liturgy. And it took place, there was, there were years of research that was done. And by 1987, the hymnal was ready, had been put into print. And I'm going to venture out and say that a lot of African-American churches, black congregations have this hymnal in their repertoire at their church called Lead Me, Guide Me. And Sister Thea Bowman was very instrumental in that move as well. And she was offered the opportunity and took that opportunity, I'm glad she did, to do an introduction to the gift of African-American sacred song. So I'll be reading that. In addition to, I found excerpts of her actually speaking. So you'll hear a lot of what she had to say as far as the Black Catholic Church and the induction of the African-American heritage into the Catholic Church. Thanks for tuning in. You'll even hear her sing. And then when we talk about Sister Thea Bowman, her name was mentioned, and I'll also read her introduction. Sister Thea Bowman in the Black Catholic Church was actually the nun that taught Caucasian pastors how to relate and communicate and preach to the African-American audience, to the African-American congregation. So a lot of the Caucasian priests who were in black churches, African-American churches, went to New Orleans to train under Sister Thea Bowman. And I had the great pleasure of meeting and knowing Sister Thea Bowman, as well as Bishop Gregory. Knew them very well growing up as a little girl. I'll now read her introduction in the Lead Me, Guide Me. And her introduction is entitled The Gift of African-American Sacred Song, Sister Thea Bowman. From the African mother continent, African men and women through the Middle Passage, throughout the Dysphoria to the Americas, carried the African gift and treasure of sacred song. To the Americas, African men and women brought sacred songs and chants that reminded them of their homelands and that sustained them in separation and in captivity. Songs to respond to all life situations and the ability to create new songs to answer new needs. African Americans in sacred song preserved the memory of African religious rites and symbols of a holistic African spirituality of rhythms and tones and harmonies that communicated their deepest feelings across barriers of region and language. African Americans in fields and quarters, at work, in secret meetings, in slave festivals, in churches, camp meetings, and revivals 
wherever they met or congregated, consoled and strengthened themselves and one another with sacred song, moans, chants, shouts, psalms, hymns, and jubilees. First of African songs, then African-American songs. In the crucible and separation and suffering, African-American sacred song was formed. In my bondage and my freedom, Frederick Douglass wrote, slaves are generally expected to sing as well as work. A silent slave is not liked by masters or overseers. Make a noise, make a noise, and bear a hand. Our words usually addressed to the slaves when there is silence amongst them. This may account for the almost constant singing heard in the southern states. There was generally more or less singing among the teamsters as it was one means of letting the overseer know where they were and that they were moving on with the work. But on allowance day, those who visited the great house farm was particularly excited and noisy. While on their way, they would make the dense old woods of the miles around reverberate with their wild notes. These were not always merry because they were wild. On the contrary, they were mostly a plaintive cast and told a tale of grief and sorrow. In the most boisterous outbursts of rapturous sentiment, there was ever a tinge of deep melancholy. As early as 1691, slaves in colonial homes, slave galleries or separate pews participated in worship services with white slaveholders. They learned to sing the traditional European psalms and hymns from the Cambridge short tune, the Dutch tune, or the hymns and psalms of Dr. Watt, which they loved and adapted to their own style and use. In 1755, Reverend Samuel Davies wrote, The Negroes have an ear for music and a kind ecstatic delight of psalmology. And there are no books they learn so soon or take so much pleasure in as those used in that heavenly part of divine worship. Slave records, slave records dating back as far as 1723 show there are proficient slave musicians, singers, and instrumentalists who played fiddle, violin, trumpet, drums, guitar, French horn, or flute. Slave musicians highly valued their musicianship. Slave musicians, some who were able to read and write. In 1801, Richard Allen, founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, published a collection of hymns and scriptural songs from various authors. Hymns and songs which were used by slaves and fugitive slaves in worship. 
1871, the Fisk Jubilee Singers began concert tours of America and Europe, which for the first time brought the original sacred song of Black America to white audiences to the concert stage. Harry Burlow, John Wesley Work, James Weldon, and J. Rosamond Johnson scored and arranged Black American sacred songs for soloists and ensembles in concert performance. In 1921, Thomas A. Dorsey, the father of gospel music, composed If I Don't Get There and initiated a new rhythm, a new harmony, and a new style. Gospel singers like Kenneth Morris, Roberta Martin, Mahalia Jackson, James Cleveland, and Edwin Hawkins enriched Black sacred song. In the 60s, Father Clarence Joseph Rivers revitalized Catholic worship, inaugurated a revolution in liturgical music, stirred international interest in the indignation of Catholic liturgy and brought new hope, joy, and spirit to millions of Black Americans when he introduced the melodies, rhythms, harmonies, symbols, and rituals of African-American sacred song into Roman Catholic worship. His American Mass program and subsequent compositions and recordings popularized Black music for Catholic worship. His soulful worship and the spirit in worship analyzed the history, theology, theory, and practice of Black sacred song and its appropriateness and effectiveness in Catholic liturgy and worship. Ron Harper, Grayson Brown, Eddie Brenmore, Leon Roberts, and other be- others began to compose for Catholic worship. Black sacred song is soulful song. One, holistic, challenging the full engagement of mind, imagination, memory, feeling, emotion, voice, and body. Two, participatory, inviting the worshiping community to join in compilation, in celebration, and in prayer. Three, real, celebrating the immediate concrete reality of the worshiping community, grief or separation, struggle or oppression, determination or joy, bringing the reality to prayer within the community of believers. Four, spirit-filled, energetic, engrossing, intense. And five, life-giving refreshing, encouraging, counseling, invigorating, sustaining. Influenced by Africa, the Middle Passages, the islands, Europe, and the Americas created, shaped, treasured, and shared by Black American Christians across time, geographic, socioeconomic, and denominational lines. Our heritage of sacred song encompasses a vast variety of kinds, styles, and forms. Wyatt T. Walker charts the development of five 
distinctive kinds of black sacred music. There's slave utterances, which includes moans, chants, cries for deliverance. And then we move into spirituals, which are faith songs, sorrow songs, plantation hymns, etc. And we get to metered music, which is Watts, Wesley, Sankey, etc. The next we move to hymns of improvisation, Euro-American hymns with a beat, and then gospel music, music of hard times, cross-fertilization with secular. Our panel to many of you needs no introduction. Sister Thea Bowman was born in Yazoo City, Mississippi, now lives in Canton, Mississippi, where she is the consultant for intercultural awareness of the Diocese of Jackson in Mississippi. She received her education at Catholic University, where she received the doctorate in the English language literature, uh, specializing in linguistics. Sister Thea also has the distinction of being one of the few persons to be featured in 60 Minutes who was not a subject of a criminal investigation. <laughs> we think. Without further ado, we welcome and... What does it mean to be black in the church and society? I want to tell you about the church. American. Our history includes 
the services of Simon of Cyrene, the search of the Ethiopian eunuch, the contributions of black Egypt in art and mathematics and monasticism and politics, the art and architecture of Zimbabwe, the scholarship of Timbuktu, the dignity and serenity of textile and gold and religion in Ghana, the pervasive spirituality and vitality of Nigeria, the political and social systems of Zaire, our history includes enslavement, oppression, and exploitation. As Malcolm X said, my folks, most of them didn't come over here on the Mayflower. They came over here on slave ships, in chains, proud, strong men and women, artists, teachers, healers, warriors, and dream makers, inventors and builders, administrators like yourselves, politicians, priests, they came to these shores in the slave trade. Those who survived the indignity of the Middle Passage came to the American continent, bringing treasures of African heritage, African spiritual and cultural gifts, wisdom, faith and faithfulness, art and drama. Here in an alien land, African people clung to African ways of thinking, of perceiving, of understanding values, of celebrating life, of walking and talking and healing and learning and singing and praying. You saw it on the film. African ways of laughing and being together and loving, that's culture. To the Americas, our people brought the secret memory of Africa, the celebration of life values in an African way and style, in song and instrumentation, in story and drum, in verse and anecdote, the memory of the survival mechanisms of Africa. The memory of color and texture, of culinary arts that translated even when we ate chitlins and other folks' leftovers. African people here became African-Americans, expressing faith in the God who loves and saves. They embodied and celebrated their own lives and their own values, their goals, their dreams, their relationships. Our history includes the island experience. You wonder how come some of us look like we do? <laughs> African people of the diaspora, we are here in this land, and this is our land. That's part of our history, too. Our people, black people, helped to build this nation in cotton and grain and beans and vegetables in brick and mortar. They cleared the land and cooked the food that they grew. They cleaned houses and built churches, some of them Catholic churches. They built railroads and bridges and national monuments. Black people defended this country as soldiers and sailors. Black people taught and molded and raised the children. And I'm not just talking about the black children. If you don't believe me, ask that cardinal sitting over there. Some more y'all too, I imagine. You know what I'm talking about, church? I mean, are you walking with me, church? Our people developed a culture that was African and American, that was formed and enriched by all that we experienced. 
And now, despite all this, despite the civil rights movement of the 60s and the socio-educational gains of the 70s, blacks in the 80s are still struggling, still scratching and clawing, as the old folks say, still trying to find home in the homeland and home in the church. What does it mean to be black and Catholic? For many of us, it means having been evangelized, having been educated, having been given a chance through the work of the Catholic Church, through the Josephites or the Holy Wor Divine Word Fathers or the Holy Ghost Fathers or the Franciscans or the Edmonites or the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament. I'm from Mississippi. The first schools in Mississippi were started in the cathedral, the cathedral basement by a diocesan priest and a group of lay women. For so many of us, being black and Catholic means having come into the church because education opened the door to evangelization. It means in an age when black men and black women were systematically kept out of the priesthood, and out of most religious communities, there were those who cared and who came and who worked with and for us and among us and helped us to help ourselves. And now our black American bishops, in the name of the church universal, have publicly declared that we as a people of faith, as a Catholic people of God, have come of age. And it is time for us to be evangelizers of ourselves. What does it mean to be black and Catholic? Catholic, it means that I come to my church fully functioning. That doesn't frighten you, do, does it? I come to my church fully functioning. I bring myself, my black self, all that I am, all that I have, all that I hope to become. I bring my whole history, my traditions, my experience, my culture, my African-American song and dance and gesture and movement and teaching and preaching and healing and responsibility as gift to the church. I bring a spirituality that our black American bishops told us, they just told us what everybody who knew knew, that spirituality is contemplative and biblical and holistic, bringing to religion a totality of mind and imagination, of memory, of feeling and passion and emotion and intensity, a faith that is embodied incarnate praise, a spirituality that knows how to find joy even in the time of sorrow, that steps out on faith, that leans on the Lord, a spirituality that is communal, that tries to walk and talk and work and pray and play together. Don't be too busy, y'all. A spirituality that in the middle of your mass or in the middle of your sermon just might have to shout out and say, Amen, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. A faith that a 
attempts to be spirit-filled. The old lady said, if you love the Lord your God with your whole heart and your whole soul and your whole mind and all your strength, then you praise the Lord with your whole heart and soul and mind and strength and you don't bring him any feeble service. If you get enough fully functioning black church Catholic in your diocese, they gonna hold up the priest and they gonna hold up the bishop. We love our bishops, y'all. We love y'all, too. But see, these bishops are our own, ordained for the church universal, ordained for the service of God's people. But they ours. We raised them. They came from our community. And in a unique way, they can speak for us and to us. And that's what the church is talking about, indigenous leadership. The leaders are supposed to look like their folks. Ain't that what the church says? <laughs> to be black and Catholic means to realize that the work of the ordained ministers is not a threat to me, and I'm no threat to that. The work of the ordained minister, of the professional minister, is to enable the people of God to do the work of the church to feed us sacramentally, to enable us to preach and to teach. And I ain't necessarily talking about preaching in the pulpit. You know as well as I do that some of the best preaching does not go on in the pulpit. But as a Catholic Christian, I have a responsibility to preach and to teach, to worship and to praise. Black folk can't just come into church and depend on the priest and say, let Father do it. And if Father don't do right, then they walk out and they complain, you know, that liturgy didn't do anything for me. The question that we raise is, what did you do for the liturgy? And the church is calling us to be participatory and to be involved. The church is calling us to feed and to clothe and to shelter and to teach and your job to enable me, to enable God's people, black people, white people, brown people, all the people to do the work of the church in the modern world. To be black and Catholic means to get in touch with the world's church with my brothers and sisters in Rome, with my brothers and sisters in China, with my brothers and sisters in Europe and Asia and Latin America, with the Church of Africa. Do your folk realize that there are more Catholic Christians in Africa than in North America, and then they run around talking about the minority? In Africa right now, 300 people become Christian every day, and 75% of them are becoming Roman Catholic. The Vatican Central Office reports that in Africa, the number of students for the priesthood increased by 88% between 1970 and 1988, while in North America, the number dropped by 43%. To be black and Catholic means to be intensely aware of the changing complexion of the College of Cardinals. I picked up your Catholic newspaper and I saw the picture church, world church. A lot of folks look like me. We got to get the word out. To be black and Catholic still though often feels like being a second or third class citizen 
of the holy city. You know, Bishop Jim Life said long time ago that black Catholic Christians will be second-class citizens of the church until they take their places in leadership beside their brothers and sisters of whatever race or national origin. Serve the black community in the United States still are not from the black community. And many of those people who attempt to serve among us, some of them perhaps in your diocese, do not feel an obligation to learn or understand black history or spirituality or culture or life, black tradition or ritual. They work for the people, but they have not learned to share life and love and laughter with the people. They somehow insulate themselves from the real lives of the people because they don't feel comfortable with black people. I travel all over the country and I see it. Black people within the church, black priests, sometimes even black bishops who are invisible. And when I say that, I mean they're not, they're not consulted. They are not included. Sometimes decisions are made that affect the black community for generations, and they are made in rooms by white people behind closed doors. Some of us are poor. Some of us have not had the advantages of education. But how can people still have a voice and a role in the work of the church? Isn't that what the church is calling us all to? If you know what I'm talking about, say amen. amen. See, the church then, church, oh yeah. Y'all talk about what do you have to do if you want to be a multi multicultural church. Sometimes I do things your way, sometimes you do things mine. That's, is that it? I'm Christian Murray Ramirez. Black people who are still victims within the church of paternalism, of a patronizing attitude, Black people who within the church have developed a mission mentality. They don't feel called, they don't feel responsible, they don't do anything. You know, let father do it, let the sisters do it, let the friends and benefactors from outside do it. That's the mission mentality, and it kills us, and it kills our churches. And so within the church, how can we work together so that all of us have equal access to input, equal access to opportunity, equal access to participation? Go in the room and look around and see who's missing and send some of your folk out to call them in. So often we've been denied the opportunities to learn and to practice. You learn by trial and error, ain't that how you learn? And to grow. Some black people don't approve of black religious expression in Catholic liturgy. They've been told that it's not properly Catholic. They've been told that it's not appropriately serious or dignified or solemn or controlled, that the European way is necessarily the better way. How can we teach all the people what it means to be black and Catholic. The National Catechetical Director says that all catechesis is supposed to be multicultural, but how little of it is. When we attempt to bring our black gifts to the church, people who do not know us say we're being non-Catholic or separatist or just plain uncouth. I gotta say one more thing, y'all ain't gonna like this, but that's all right. 
Catholic schools have been a primary instrument of evangelization within the black community. The church has repeatedly asked black folk, what do you want? What can the church do for you? And black folk all over the country are saying, help us to education. We need education. The way out of poverty is through education. The, the opportunity, we can't be church without education because ignorance cripples us and kills us. Black people are still asking the Catholic Church for education. Now, some, sometimes we don't have the money. Are we finding alternative ways to speak to the black community in a language that they understand? Overcome the poverty, overcome the loneliness, overcome the alienation, and build together a holy city, a new Jerusalem a city set apart where they'll know we are his because we love one another. We shall overcome. Y'all get up. We shall Black sacred song celebrates our God, his goodness, his promise, our faith and hope, our journey toward the promise. 
Black sacred song carries melodies and tonalities, rhythms and harmonies, metaphors, symbols, and stories of faith that speak to our hearts. Words, phrases, and images that touch and move us. Stephen Henderson says of black speech, certain words and constructions seem to carry an inordinate charge of emotional and sociological weight. So whenever they are used, they set all kinds of bells ringing, all kinds of synapses snapping on all kinds of levels. I am speaking of words which have levels of meaning that seem to go back to our earliest grappling with the English language in a strange and holistic land. These words, of course, are used in complex associations and thus form meaningful holes in ways which defy understanding by outsiders. I call such words masculine, words borrowing from, of all places, the National Aeronautical and Space Administration. NASA invented the acronym to mean a massive concentration of matter below the lunar surface after it was observed that the gravitational pull on a satellite was stronger in some places than in others. I use it to mean a massive concentration of black experimental energy, which powerfully affects the meaning of black speech, black song, and black poetry. If one indeed has to make distinctions. Black sacred music lifts up biblical symbols which bear the acclamation meanings of 400 years of experience from the black community in America. God is father, mother, sister, brother, captain, king, liberator, friend. God is a God of peace, a God of war. God is water to the thirsty, bread to the hungry, shelter to the homeless. God is my rock, my sword, my shield. God is rest in a weary land. God is my all in all. African people are duniably people, seeking richness of meaning in apparent contradiction. They're comfortable with bringing together realities which may appear contradictory or in opposition. For example, body and spirit, sacred and secular, individual and community. They reach toward unfatification or synthesis of opposites. African people are dulineal people, seeking richness of meaning and apparent contradiction. They are comfortable with bringing together realities which may appear contradictory or in opposition. For example, body and or spirit, sacred and or secular, individual and or community. They reach toward unification or synthesis of opposites. God is like father or mother, 
father, mother, sister, brother, symbols are not sexist. God is like fire and balm. African people are comfortable with symbols. African Americans for 400 years have used symbols and song to express a faith and yearning too high, too low, too wide, too deep for words, too passionate to be confined by concepts. As Father Rivers writes, music is important for worship because in worship we have to express the unexpressible, to transcend human values that defy ordinary expression. Music, like its other self, poetry, seems capable of doing what plain, rational words cannot do. Namely, to express the unexpressible, to touch men's hearts, to penetrate their souls, create an experience of things that cannot be reasoned. Black sacred song, old or new, folk or composed, rural or urban, traditional or contemporary, is in a very real sense the song of the people. The music comes from a people who share and claim a common history, common experience, common expression, common values, hopes, dreams, and visions. The singer, the singers, the instrumentalists voice the expression and experience of faith of the community. The leader, some would say soloist, leads the communion in worship. The leader revives and inspires. The worshiping community is active, not passive. People participate, sing, pray, clap, sway, raise their hands, nod their heads, eye contact, voiced response. The silent testimony of tears, a smile of relief or contemplation or ecstatic says. This is my story. This is my song. <laughs> the singer is chosen from the people by the people to suit their immediate need. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. I just came from the fountain. I love the Lord. My heavenly father watches over me. The first person pronoun. The I reference is communal. The individual sings the song of community in heart and voice and gesture. The church, the community responds. The singer lifts the church, the people, to a higher level of understanding, feeling, motivation, and participation among African peoples. Most art is designed for use that is to express a feeling or insight, to have an impact in the real world. Song is not an object to be admired so much as an instrument to teach, comfort, inspire, persuade, convince, or motivate. Music is chosen precisely for its effort upon the worshiping community the aim is effective worship. 
Black sacred song is designed to move. It moves because depth of feeling gives it spiritual power. Father Clarence Rivers explains, a singer who performs without feeling lacks soul. As an original biblical concept of the spiritual, the spirit or the soul is the life principle, the source of the life and liveliness, of dynamicism and movement, of motion and emotion. That which is unmoved and unmoving is not spiritual, it is dead. To the spiritual, it is to be alive, to be capable of moving and responding to movement. Since the spirit moves, that which does not move would seem to lack the presence of the spirit. Black sacred song has been at once a source and expression of black faith, spirituality, and devotion. By song, our people have called the spirit into our hearts, homes, churches, and communities, seeking to enrich our liturgies and lives with the gift of sacred song. We pray. Spirit, sweet Holy Spirit, fall fresh on me. Every time I hear the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. I want to thank you, my listening audience, to the tribute show honoring Sister Thea Bowman in this segment on Let's Talk Gospel Music Gold. These shows are to explore, record, and raise excitement about gospel music and its gold. I hope you, the audience, enjoyed this episode as much as I have. Please send me an email sharing your thoughts about the show segment. Also, if you have any suggestions of future guests you would like to hear on the show, send an email to let's talk to gmg at gmail.com. That's let's talk to gmg at gmail.com. You may also like and share the episode, and you may subscribe so you will be alerted when the newest show is published. I am your host, Ansonia, saying, let's sing, let's shout, and tell of the great news through Gospel Music Gold. Until the next episode, take care and God bless. Sister Thea Bowman was born in 1937 in Yazoo City, Mississippi. The granddaughter of freed slaves, she was the only child of Theon and Mary Esther Bowman. When she was born, she was given the name Bertha. Born in what she called an ecumenical family, she chose to become a Catholic in her elementary school years. The first time she ever left Mississippi was for the unfamiliar world of La Crosse, Wisconsin, to join the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. At the convent, she took the name Thea to honor her father. She studied at Viterbo College in La Crosse and Catholic University in Washington, D.C., 
ultimately receiving a Ph.D. in English. After teaching at Viterbo and Blessed Sacrament schools in La Crosse, she returned to Canton to teach at Holy Child Jesus School. She became a moving force behind the Institute for Black Catholic Studies at Xavier University. Sister Thea became known around the world as a teacher, a scholar, a singer, and a speaker. But most of all, she became loved and respected around the world for her ability to teach all people to be themselves, to remember and celebrate their individual religious and cultural heritages. Though an only child, she considered all people her brothers and sisters, all children her children, all people her family. In June 1989, Sister Thea spent over four days in interviews with Oblate Media. The interviews took place at her parents' house on Hill Street in Canton, the house where Sister Thea spent her early life, the house she loved and always considered home. Stricken with cancer, Sister Thea's health and energy varied from day to day of the interview sessions, but her spirit never waned, her love never sagged, her determination never diminished. Sister Thea Bowman died March 30th, 1990, at the age of 51. She died in her parents' house. going to be a special patron there in heaven for America, for the black Catholics of America. I mean, there'll be somebody pulling from them upstairs. She's going to drive the Lord crazy. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that's why he's left her here. I don't know. <laughs> he's going to have some fun when she gets up there because she's not going to leave him alone for one minute. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this. I would think and I thought that Sister Thea would never die because I loved her a lot. You have a gift, you have a talent. Find your gift, find your talent. And use it. You can make life better in this world just by letting your light shine and by doing your part. You can help somebody just by caring about somebody, just by loving somebody. And then, when you get through showing them how much you love them, sometimes folks need to hear it. Be sure you tell them, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I really, 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 really love you. This episode has been sponsored by Nelsie IT. The disaster has happened. We were all caught off guard March 2020. And in many cases, there is now a rebuilding process which must take place. How does this affect you as a church leader or a small business owner? With over 20 years of experience, we can help you create an emergency response and a business continuity plan for your church or your small business. We discuss methods of preparing for the next emergency or disaster. Here are a few things we can speak to you about for your church. How to continue communicating with your congregants 
without access to your physical location? How do members reach the leadership staff? What about church records? Are they safe and available? And here are a few things we will cover for a small business. Communicating with your customers and meeting their needs and or orders. Do you have a backup process to keep your business records safe? We can talk about technology, security, and record keeping. For more information, contact us at 708-762-3587. That's 708-762-3587. And we can discuss how you can feel more comfortable in creating a emergency response plan and or a business continuity plan.